Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Trying to keep track of what the hell is going on in Congress right now with the infrastructure bill, the spending plan, the debt, it's confusing, stressful, to say the least. Now imagine being the editor in charge of figuring out and coordinating all of our coverage of it. <laughs> I like to say that we work uh, ER hours, even though we're not doctors. Alana Shore does not have to imagine that. She's living it. You know, I'm, I'm proud of the work my team has done, but it's undeniable that uh, the Democratic majorities are extremely slim right now. And that leads to a lot of high expectations, high stress, high intensity. High expectations, high stress, high intensity. That is the name of the game today on Dispatch. I'm Jeremy Siegel. And today on the show, Alana Shore is going to break down what is behind that stress and what the hell is going on in Congress. So buckle up. Here we go. So as someone who who has the luxury of uh, not working those ER hours, not being a congressional reporter or editor, I've kind of like tuned out what's going on in the House and in the Senate in a way, which I feel like a lot of people have, because it honestly feels like everything is changing constantly every day, but also like nothing is happening simultaneously. I mean, can you catch me up on what is actually going on right now and what's at stake in Congress this week? Absolutely. It's actually uh, extremely simple to understand. It's just a little bit difficult to explain in the traditional journalistic format sometimes. Essentially, Hmm. Democrats are trying to do two things at once. They're trying to complete work on a $550 billion infrastructure bill that passed the Senate with 19 Republican votes. This is a serious bipartisan bill. Mm -hmm. They're also trying to pass a bill that is uh, wrongly often shorthanded as the reconciliation bill. No one really knows what that means except Congress nerds. (laughs) What it really is, is it's a package of the party's top priorities, climate change, helping with paid leave and child care, expanding health care benefits, basically all the things that Democrats stand for, they're trying to cram into this bill. But the problem, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Jeremy, is their majorities just aren't FDR-sized, and they're trying to do FDR-sized things. Hmm. So they're having major problems because they can't get enough votes to pass one bill on infrastructure without finishing the other more complicated, still unwritten bill. Mm-hmm. We shorthand this sometimes to the two-track strategy. But right now, both tracks are kind of in trouble because they're running in parallel. Mm. Now, in addition to that, you have a fight over the debt ceiling and funding the government. Um, and all of that could coalesce and converge around December. When it comes to the difficulty of these negotiations, what exactly are the sticking points and who are the st- people. Um, essentially, you're seeing a push-pull relationship between moderates or centrists, as I prefer to call them, and progressives slash liberals within the party. Progressives and liberals want the biggest possible party line bill, lots of spending on climate and carbon emissions, lots of expansions of Medicare. And centrists are very uneasy about the idea of passing a bill without Republican votes in the first place. They're willing to go along, but they don't want it to cost as much money as the left does, and they don't want it to move forward without that infrastructure bill that has a lot of Republican support. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially the push-pull of interest here, you know, and I can discuss to you ad nauseum about Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin and the particular things that one may want in and the other may want out, but listeners should know that basically what it comes down to is centrists 
are just leery about this whole idea that we're going to cram a wish list into law without Republican votes because their whole political brand is we work together. And, you know, liberals probably hear that and go like, are you kidding? If, if Republicans were in charge, of course they would be cramming everything they want. So we're not going to do the mm-hmm. same thing. This is basically what Democrats stand for. So it's, it's really, it's a philosophical difference in terms of what you do with a congressional majority that's paralyzing the party at this moment. Hmm. What's the plan at this point for like what to do? do here? Because you do have this bipartisan bill. So, I mean, is, is the plan to wait on on voting on that and getting a bipartisan infrastructure package through until they have this other bigger Democratic package figured out? I think it's charitable to assume that there's an actual plan at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Democratic leaders have perpetually uh, punted their deadlines to finish this two-track process because they're struggling to get a majority. And I mean, literally, they have no room to work with in the Senate and three votes to work with in the House. That's barely a majority. So at this point, the plan is basically to hope, and it's not just hope, they're working, they're genuinely working really hard on this, but they just started work a little late, actually writing a bill that can get every Democrat on board. There's been a lot of talk, there's been a lot of rhetorical insistence, but we have yet to see the legislative language that might actually get these votes. So so the plan slash hope is to get that done by the end of October. That's a huge heavy lift. They thought they were going to get it done by September. It didn't happen. You mentioned you could talk ad nauseum about the you know things that uh, Mansion and Cinema want and don't want with this. Um, this week, Congress is returning from recess, so we might see sort of some of this push and pull negotiation taking place. I mean, what sort of changes do you think we could see in the coming days that might get Democrats? towards having agreement on all this. It can't be said enough that there is no party line bill yet. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of frameworks and plans and hopes. The bill hasn't been put together. Mm -hmm. So my hunch is that when the bill is put together, we will see it at a top line number that has a chance at getting Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. And right now, that's $1.5 trillion. Mm. And that upsets a lot of Democrats who thought that $3.5 trillion was a compromise. Uh, the White House is trying to get it to about 1.9 to 2.2 trillion. There is no sign that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to go along with that. And for that matter, there's no sign that Nancy Pelosi can win over all of her leery moderates in the House. So, you know, as far as what gets cut, you know, we've been doing some great reporting at Politico. It's it's going to be trims here and there. It's not going to be slashing wholesale one program. So I would just recommend readers to our stories on how paid leave might be cut, on how uh, Manchin might force cuts to the climate programs, on how Bernie Sanders' Medicare vision might be slashed. Um, you know, this is sort of like uh, dreams meet reality for the Democratic Party right now on all fronts. Hmm. I know you probably hate predicting stuff like this, but I mean, what do you think will ultimately end up happening here? Because in a way, it seems totally wild to imagine Democrats being in charge of the White House um, and and both chambers, you know, slimly, but both chambers of, of Congress, them being in charge of all of that and not being able to get this stuff through at the end of the day. At the same time, it feels like they've been negotiating on this for, for ages. Like, is there a chance that all of this ends up blowing up in front of Democrats when they're, you know, like right in front of being able to get something huge passed? Or do you think this will end up working out and it all is just, you know, kind of nuts to watch, but 
it'll work out. You're totally right that I hate predictions and it's all anybody ever asks me to do. <laughs> but that's okay. I'll do it anyway. Um, I do think it's instructive to look at Obamacare. Um, it was before Twitter became Twitter and the current news cycle became itself. So we mm-hmm. tend to forget that it took about this long for Obamacare to become what it is. Um, so I do think something will be passed. Will that something make anybody in the Democratic Party really happy? No, because <laughs> that's just kind of how Congress goes. Um, and and I would not be surprised at all if that bill slips into next year. Um, so that's like a half a prediction, I suppose. Hmm. Um, they could surprise me and get this done by the end of the month, but it's really not looking that way. Mm-hmm. I, I think the even money is on something passing as opposed to nothing, but nothing passing is certainly a real possibility. The last thing I wanted to ask about before I let you go is the ticking time bomb of of the debt ceiling. Um, how does that play into things here? It adds a sense of urgency And it makes things worse for Democrats because they've sort of locked themselves into we just won't do what Mitch McConnell wants stance here. Um, You know, Mitch McConnell wants them to raise the debt limit with only Democratic votes by using the same filibuster proof maneuvering they're using to pass their big social spending bill, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Now, Mitch McConnell's endgame here is clear. He thinks the debt is enough of a problem for them that forcing it through that route will effectively kill the big social spending package. Hmm. They're sort of out of options at this point because McConnell offered them a short-term fix and said he wouldn't do it again. And if you look at the votes, McConnell doesn't have the votes to give them another short-term fix. Republicans are fired up. Democrats are fired up to oppose anything McConnell wants. The debt is a huge problem. Um, it's not yet clear to me and not yet clear to our budget experts whether the quote-unquote debt deadline of December 3rd is real because there's something the Treasury Department can do called extraordinary measures, basically like finding coins in the couch cushion of the U.S. government. So they might be able to get some wiggle room there so it's not a showdown over the debt and funding the government, but that's not a given. Mm. So essentially, like, I see the debt deadline of December 3rd as a Congress editor as basically the second of two deadlines for Democrats to get their act together on their big social package. The first one is the Virginia governor's race. If they lose that, they're in real, real trouble. The second one is December, because if they don't have a party line social package, then they're consumed by the debt for weeks and further set back and pushed way into the midterm year when no vulnerable incumbent wants to come out and say, like, I'm going to wildly deficit spend, no matter how noble the priorities are. Alana, sure. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is warning that ongoing supply chain problems in the U.S. could persist for months and will continue into next year. Speaking to CNN on Sunday, Buttigieg said the administration is working to alleviate some of the issues and also painted them as a positive sign of the economic recovery, saying, quote, demand is off the charts, but acknowledging supply chains can't keep up. President Biden announced on Wednesday that the Port of Los Angeles, a major shipping nexus, would operate on a 24-7 basis to address a glaring bottleneck as the holiday season approaches and the administration races to lessen the strain on the system. And 
The nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, is working to tamp down concerns over whether the White House's vocal embrace of COVID vaccine boosters had any influence over the regulatory process. Speaking to Fox News over the weekend, Fauci said, quote, I don't think there's any political issue there and that it's just public health data and evidence. The FDA's Independent Vaccine Advisory Committee last week voted to recommend additional doses for cohorts of those who received vaccines produced by either Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. Some of the experts on the panel, though, were troubled by the amount of data, or lack thereof, presented by the companies in order to form their recommendations. But those qualms did not ultimately stand in the way of them backing the boosters. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.